Hey guys, and welcome back to the Natty Scene. We are back for another episode with two awesome guests. I'm lucky to be joined by, arguably, in my opinion, two of the best drug-free bodybuilders out there, both female and male. So we've got Andrew Chappelle and Steph Noble on the line. And uh, I've I've been lucky enough to follow both of these guys for quite quite a while. I believe I first saw Andrew either in... 2015 or 2014 and uh, Steph was definitely 2016 I believe um, and since then I've, I've followed them very closely and watched them obviously uh, develop as athletes and do different shows that I've been lucky to be at uh, last year especially we were all lucky to be uh, in New York at Worlds and, and hang out quite a bit and I got to chat a little bit more uh, well as much as we could I think Steph a little bit more than than Andy, because obviously he was competing oh. for the day. He wanted to get laser focused. Um, and uh, yeah, even mine and Steph's conversations were getting worse and worse as the, uh, the 24 hour show went on. <laughs> went on. Yeah, it was a unique thing actually, bodybuilding show at two in the morning. The chat was getting delirious, would be yeah. the, the words that this I would use. Probably one of the pinnacles of my bodybuilding career so far. <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't know what we're talking about, the, the WMBF World Finals, I, I'm sure you've talked about this already, was still going on at like about two in the morning? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two, in the two, morning. three in the morning. And uh, it, was, it was a great show, but it was uh, just extremely long. And I think we, we all very much tested the limits of our bodybuilding passion in that day. Like another <laughs> class came on and I was like, do I, do I still like bodybuilding? Or... <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do I actually hate it? <laughs> yeah. Do you know, oh, AG, you were saying there, you're, you're thinking back to when you, you first maybe see me competing, but I'm sure I seen you competing as a teen. Okay. I would I would like to think maybe about 2013 or 14. I think 14, I probably judged you. 14, well, yeah, 14 was my first ever year. Yeah, I seen you that year, I remember. And I did the, the Derby... The Derby BMBF Midlands, yeah. and I came third. That was the year that Dale Bet won. Do you remember him? Really nice. I remember Dale Bet. Yeah, I do. So, um, he was a really good team, and I think that was the same year that it was like Tyler and Steve McDonald at the final. Tyler Cook and Steve McDonald. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Yep. Good year. Um, so yeah, that that must have been where I first sort of kind of saw you but you were I think were you on the judging table that year or did you do yeah I was I'd like to say I'm pretty positive I judged you at that show I remember yeah. seeing you on on stage yeah, on stage that year so yeah it's I've been aware of yourself obviously competing AG for a long time yeah for sure that's been good so I think uh first of all I think everyone wants to know um it's the sort of the first thing that everyone's talking about at the moment how are you guys sort of dealing with this the current situation so for reference if anyone's listening in the future we're during this uh, sort of corona period of time that, that we're recording so everyone's on lockdown gyms are shut etc so how are you guys dealing with it and what's changed for you guys yeah well um firstly thanks for having us on aj and it's good Pleasure. to actually speak to you too because we're all on the socials and then it's nice just to put, get face to face and talk about stuff so yeah um i think I'll probably echo you in saying that it's just the same for everyone. You know, it's, it's a surreal time. Um, it's not particularly changed for, for me anyway, my work patterns as I'm a, similar to you. I'm like an online coach. So I'm doing majority of the stuff from home anyway. It's just 
a little bit like what we were talking about before we even started this, where you can't just sit down and get a cup of coffee or something from the shops. It all just seems a little bit confined at the moment. Um, but I'm trying to take it as an opportunity just to build a little bit of resilience, actually, because, and this is something I've been talking to my clients a lot about, is if we can get through this change in you know your your daily routine in your own four walls or with your training aspects and everything else and come out the other end having maintained some focus and some discipline to different areas of your life and keeping healthy in your mindset then that is a, a massive skill at the end of all this without having just fallen off the bandwagon so i'm trying to use it as a as a little bit of a strengthening tool, I suppose more inner than outer, a strengthening tool just to keep myself accountable through it um, and try and echo that out to the people I'm working with as well. Okay, yeah. and then I guess in my respect, I mean, things have changed a little bit more for, for me. I mean, if you're not being honest there completely, because in terms of things changing day to day, because we do posing coaching, oh, well, yeah, prior, posing prior, coaching yeah. prior to this, I mean, we were up and down the country working with lots of different people. So, I mean, that's obviously had to, to come to an end to, Doing the posing tuition. Yeah, that's something I'm really missing a lot. Yeah, actually, we yes. love working with people um, doing that. It's, it's so much fun just helping people transform their bodies and just show off their best traits and, and doing routines and things like that. So that's that's really changed them as well, not being able to do that. But we're, we're doing that online now. I yeah. Yes, slightly different challenge. Um, but for me, it's, I mean, I go into work every day. So I, I would be working at Robert Gordon University. So t- teaching classes. So I've moved online remotely. Um, and I mean, the, the other thing is obviously you're not going to a gym anymore. Mm-hmm. So that, that day-to-day aspect of, of things. But I just, I'm, I'm now working from home. It's great because I get to spend more time with my partner. Mm-hmm. And then, We're um, not killing each other yet. We're <laughs> not killing each other yet. <laughs> yes, win. <laughs> For now. That cute old cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we're, we're pretty good with each other's company most of the time. So, it, yeah, it's, it, it's good when you can get along at least. I'm just going to make yeah. that. I'll make a joke anyway, an inappropriate joke about Craig Titus, but I mean, that's, that's a real bodybuilding joke. Oh, Look God. that one up, AJ, if you don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, move quickly on for that. So yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, the thing that we're all missing is, I guess, is going to the gym. I mean, that, that sort of sense as well. Um, we're, just, we're making do. I've managed to get some barbells and some dumbbells uh, working out in the, uh, the spare bedroom, going away with that. It's, it's been good because... It means I'm not lifting as heavy all the time, yeah. and uh, my joints are feeling a lot better. Mm. And I'm starting doing yoga yeah, as well. Yeah, we've so. switched to a lot of recover, more recovery work. Yeah. So we're doing okay. loads more yoga, a lot more stretching. I'm trying to do more core work. Um, it's an area that I've wanted to do work on, and you just always forget about it. So yeah. Um, just, yeah, just kind of switching up and trying a few new things as well. So that's where we're at with this. Yeah, making the most of it, I guess, is, is what you would say. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I think that's I think that's what everyone needs to sort of take into perspective mm. is you know you just control what you can control and yep. and do your best so you know it's great to see you doing that so also does does this affect your your plans for this year at all for you guys like were you were you planning to compete and have now put that aside or were you both planning to take years <laughs> off absolutely not <laughs> there's no way we're pla- well I was planning on competing I don't think I had like I had the energy um, when I was over watching everybody at the Worlds, and yeah. I was kind of in that mindset of right now I'm going to get back. I want to. I've got unfinished business to go through again this year. Okay. But as soon as I hit back from New York, and we've had quite a lot of treats, it, it was pretty evident that my body was just fried, which is why I ended up not doing the Worlds in the first place. So I was yeah. so. I mean, I was so tired. 
um, that we both just said, no, not this I mean, year, not this year. You so. know what it's like. I mean, you what, 2017 would have been the last one um, for yourself. And when you get yourself shredded and you've done a whole year of dieting, mm. the, there is a certain period I always sort of think in terms of, and the more severe you diet, that recovery phase coming out of it, just not just physically recovering, but mentally recovering mm-hmm. from uh, from the whole sort of process. And I see you nodding along there, so you're, you're well aware of this. And uh, I'm not ready to get back to stage right now. I'm enjoying drinking wine, and I'm enjoying... Probably too much, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm enjoying just having time off and just doing doing other things. And yeah. the stage will always be there. I'll make... Yeah, so yeah. definitely not this year. It's not changed so, anything in yeah, that respect. It was always an off-season this year for us. So it's what starts to decided in January. Um, and I guess uh, we, we feel really, well, it's so hard for, you know, like in yourself as well, we probably feel this, but when you are, have been coming in so focused this year and then this is it and how that's, we've all had to adapt our mindset so quickly to deal with that, whether you're not competing or competing, but certainly if you are, it's been a much bigger transition and we've mm-hmm. had to manage our clients through that as well. As I'm sure you're you're dealing yeah. with yourself, yeah. Yeah, I've I've even found the the clients that were taking this year off are now compromised in terms of what they want to do next year because they're 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 almost starting to think, oh well, no one's competing this year, so next year is going to be super super competitive, and I'm yeah. the, the first timers are almost a bit more on edge about it, yeah. and also like people like for example, you know Grace who did a whole year of dieting last year and basically just had a whole year dedicated to bodybuilding much like you guys she almost feels like now she's not having a proper off season where she can go on a nice holiday and things like yeah. that she planned for summer and it, it you know it's it's a year off that's for a lot of people if it's their only year off in between years of competition that that they might want to extend to another off season so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, get that, yeah. I get that yeah yeah I mean it's thrown up it's that not knowing isn't it as well I think it's the, the, the not knowing when things are going to be allowed back up are the shows at all going to be let going ahead this year and and then of course yeah how that impacts next year but I think we can also just see it as an opportunity that you just you've just got to like any coach or, or any athlete it's a stumbling block we've got to just hit it head on look at it straight in the face adapt to the environment try our best with what we've got and then as we say, even if, if it is a busier year next year, that's more good competition to stand on stage against. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, yeah. you can never control the outcome of how many people are going to be on a stage at any point in time. Yeah. And whether it's busy or not, it's kind of irrelevant. If you bring your, yeah. your best, then you're, you're giving it 110% and that's all you can ask of yourself. I guess that's, I mean, what, what you're saying, it's managing expectations. I mean, what, what do you want to get out of that? contest next year is, is your ambition to go and win the contest or is it like are you just happy to take part and if it's to win then you have to beat people anyway yeah regardless of the year there'd be something quite nice though about seeing really stacked stages. yeah yeah it would be great perhaps be great. i mean i mean in some classes i can imagine like some of the classes getting a little bit crazy as they you know some of the classes are already really big but mm. um yeah. it's still you know it's it would be good to see a flourishing bodybuilding industry again because I think right now it's just, uh, it's, yeah, like you say, giving other people a voice to continue talking about what they're doing right now. I think it's a really good, a good idea. And that's why listening to Lee's chat the other day with you was, was great, I thought, because it's keeping people motivated, it's keeping people inspired, and it gives them something to look forward to when, mm-hmm. when this all kind of starts to get sorted out, hopefully. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So let's change tack a little bit and go backwards to, to when you both started getting into the sport of bodybuilding. Um, I think it's always a cool question to ask listeners, uh, sorry, guests, because listeners are really interested in, in obviously how people got into the sport, how people developed. And then obviously for you guys, especially got to the, the upper echelons of the sport itself. So give us a little bit of a background into how you both got into things and yeah. Okay. So this could be a whole episode on its own. Um, If you want like the long version, by the way, we've done a big, our journey from the very start on our YouTube channel. So if people are are keen on that, then please do go have a look. But um, the long and short of it for me is I guess um, I've come from like quite a competitive dance background prior to starting bodybuilding. So for, for me, it was quite a natural progression because I was doing a lot of additional fitness alongside my professional dance at the time. And then when I decided to take a step away from professional dance, purely just because of it not being a, a stable career choice for me at that point. I mean, this is why you're good at choreography as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're a dancer. Yeah. I, see. I, I then sort of started working out at a couple of different gyms. I found a passion for it. I took my um, my personal training, I did my degrees and obviously all of that, and then decided that the gym, or the specific gym I was originally training in, was a proper spit and sawdust, raw bodybuilding gym. I think like where a lot of people start out. Um, I was training with the guys, um, I, was, I was just kind of in that raw environment, and there was a picture of who was the first British IFBB figure champion, uh, Louise Rogers on the wall. Well, she was then known as Louise Rogers. She's now Louise Cayenne, if you go and have a check on her. She was like my idol, literally. I used to look at that picture in the gym and just, I wanted that shape. I wanted to be this tiny little waist, these lovely delts, this nice sweeping quad look. I just thought from an aesthetic point of view, it was awesome. And that's it. That's where my journey started. And I just started picking up magazines because I'm old now, it feels (laughs) like. (laughs) Um, and I was just looking through the mags and I mean, just planning my workouts. And 2011? 11, yeah. Two, so 2011, I started my first, if you want to call it, preparation to stand on stage. But I wanted okay. to, I took like two years before I stood on stage to try and get what I thought was that shape. So that's how I started. Yeah, that's a short, short, a very short version. Now, Steph's very first show, which was? 2013, the NBF. And well, the very, very first show was NPA Yorkshire, Mike Williams, um, classic there. Keniston, that's it. That was in Yorkshire in 2013. And then I went on to do the BNBF Midland and the UKDFBA Open Championship that year. And that was my very first year competing. And I had just like a total whirlwind. I won the NPA show. I took second in my BNBF show and then I won the um what was the fit body championships at UKDFBA 13 mm-hmm. and that was my first first year there so it was all a bit like what I, I should mention I judged Steph at her first ever show <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> she, she apparently came and got feedback and apparently it was helpful <laughs> so. it was helpful <laughs> we often talk about this because I'm, I'm like there that you know that first time competitor like please tell me what I can do to be the best I can be you know <laughs> and and he's like yeah who are you again <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it was more helpful than that yeah so anyway that was the beginning of my journey what about you 
Oh gosh, because um, I'm old as well. I did my first bodybuilding show in 2006. So going right back, um, and I started bodybuilding, I suppose, when I was probably about really, I mean, if you count working out in your bedroom, and I suppose you do count that as bodybuilding, that's probably about 14 years old is when I started doing all that, all those uh, years ago. And I did it alongside playing sports. I, was, I played football. And I was still playing football, actually, when I was, like, did my first bodybuilding show. Like, football training and stuff like this. But, no, I, I started in 2006. And I think I left school and I did a HNC in health and fitness because I, I knew I wanted to work with um, wanted to work with athletes, so I wanted to learn more about fitness. Um, I was always better at training than I was at playing actual sports itself. So <laughs> much better at football training than actually playing football. And, uh, and I realized I enjoyed it better. So the football kind of fell by the wayside um, a little bit. I enjoyed the training. And then, I mean, you say most people start in these hardcore gyms. I was training in LA Fitness, which would be like the equivalent of like, more like pure gym, but a little bit fancier. Maybe more like D or JD gyms or DW sports, something like that. And then uh, couple of guys said you should do a, a natural bodybuilding show I was like natural bodybuilding like I had no idea this existed let alone somebody would say that I would do a bodybuilding show and then um, I got on board with these guys doing bodybuilding I'd, I'd been reading magazines for uh, for years because again as we said we're, we're old so you read those things and uh, I mean the guys at the time were guys like Troy Alves and Milo Sarchez and uh, Lee Priest and then the big guys were like Ronnie Coleman and then um, Jay Cutler and, and so on. So you're, you're looking at these guys in the magazines and you're, you're putting together your workout plans in the same way. And I, I did the first show, 2006, uh, BMBS Scottish Championships. I, I won the class, uh, the juniors, and then I went to the British finals that year and I, I came second. Um, I did very well, I mean, to, to come second in the first year. And, and after that, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come back bigger and, uh, bigger and better the next year to try and win the, win the, the title. And I think I did, AJ eight shows or something that year. <laughs> Genuinely, I think I did like the BMBF, the NABA, UKBFF, shows which are now the IFBA. Uh, I did the PMBA, Natural Olympia. I did all these shows um, the second year. Won the British title, went to the Worlds, came second. And, and after that, I was, I was hooked on it. And then uh, 15 odd years later, or however long it is now, I'm, I'm still doing, uh, doing all this. So that, that's, I guess, how it started. And we've obviously jumped across Quite, quite a lot there and probably about 25 odd other shows at, at the very least, but that's the starting. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Now that's great. And uh, I know you both have sort of pretty deep competitive histories and you could talk about it all day. Yeah. So, um, but it's no, it's just great to hear obviously where, where you came from and how long you've been in the sport and the experience that you do have. Um, because I think that's such a great quality as well for you, for you both being coaches now with pro prep, I think, that's why you are such, well, one of the reasons amongst many that you're such great coaches is that you just have such a wealth of experience. Um, and yeah, so that's awesome. I think um, another question that I'm actually intrigued about is what made you both stay natural? Because, you know, you mentioned there, Andy, about, you know, Troy Alves, Milos, oh, yeah, and things like that. And these people that initially you were looking up to. And I'm sure Steph as well with some of the figure girls, you, you're probably yeah. looking up to girls that eventually you found out they were, you know, assisted and, and using um, performance enhancing drugs to sort of get, get ahead of that natural limit. So what made you both want to stay with, within the, the drug-free community of bodybuilding? 
Okay, do, do it more first, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for my, the reason why I compete naturally and have done is throughout all these years is because I've always had this sort of sense right at the center of I've wanted to test myself to my absolute maximum ability. Like what can I do with my body and how can I push myself through barriers and challenges and I set myself goals and that's been a driving force in everything I do, not just competing, you know, I, I love discipline and I love focus and training has been an outlet, not just for me sort of physically building my body, but mentally getting me through a hell of a lot in my life. And the, the, the idea of taking something, I suppose, to enhance my physique at this stage hasn't, well, throughout this whole entire process, hasn't been something that has really tickled me. It's, it's just not something I've ever wanted to do. Um, I understand why people do it. I've got, and I don't have any judgment on that as well, by the way. We work with people who have been assisted or not assisted. I have got friends who are assisted. I've got obviously a lot of friends who aren't. And it's part of the sport. But it, for me, never really been something that I've paid particular attention to. Um, and I've loved my journey so far. And I've never felt like I'm not progressing enough to need to, to look at something else, you know? And um, so that's sort of my story with it, if you like. Okay, so, I mean, I remember I, I sat down with a guy called Dimitrios Lovakofas, who's written a great book on this. Um, it's called The Genealogy of Bodybuilding um, from Classical to Freaky. Brilliant book, um, sociologist. And he was writing um, a paper on this for um, the Danish government, because over there, what they're trying to do is they're trying to sort of identify reasons why people would not be natural so that they can then potentially put in place policies to effectively try and discourage people from, from mm -hmm. taking anabolics. I mean, interesting stuff. So I sat down, I remember I did an interview with him on this, and it, it was about an hour long, and I'd realized when I spoke to him about it, um, I'd never really had a really in-depth conversation about it, but there was at least about 20 different reasons of why I, I never went down that, that, sort of, that sort of route. So, I mean, this is a, you could do an hour on this yeah, sort of question, really, and... And I mean, what he does as a sociologist is he interviews lots of people, he identifies common themes, and he says that these are the, the reasons why people typically uh, want to do it, and these ones are more popular. But I mean, wh why did I say stay natural? Um, well, lots of reasons. So initially, like, I, I don't know enough about anabolic steroids to do that sort of thing safely at all and by the way i'm just listing these as reasons these are not my number one reasons these are just reasons so i i, I don't know enough about anabolics mm. both in terms of taking them to do it safely and the effects that these things can potentially have on your health and the, there are definitely health consequences associated with that with these things as well and we know that from analyzing people's backgrounds. In terms of your social class, if you're from a more middle class sort of background, people that have got these sort of values are more inclined to sort of stay away from taking anabolic steroids as well. There's something that's sort of aligns with people in terms of, um, it's almost perceived as cheating or unsporting, if you like, to sort of, uh, to maybe potentially take these things. Now, I don't know that reason ever sort of, if I really believe that anymore, but at the time it maybe resonated with me that I should try and do what I can, like Steph says, with my own natural uh, genetics. I mean, now I sort of believe that, well, if you want to be at that sort of muscular level, then that's, that's something you've got to, 
potentially um, potentially do. Um, I mean, there's, I was a young guy at the time when I was uh, starting at bodybuilding and your sexual health means a lot to you. So, I mean, someone says, yeah, I can give you this drug, you'll, um, you'll be extremely muscular, but your testicles will shrink. You might lose your hair, your acne, you're going to get acne, um, your skin's going to change a little bit and you're going to get hair in places that was maybe not there before. That didn't potentially appeal to me um, at all as, as a young guy doing, doing that sort of stuff. A part of me thought that, well, maybe I could do this in terms of maximizing my own genetic potential and, and maybe later on in my, uh, my career, I would maybe potentially take something then and uh, once I'd maximized those goals. But it, it never really um, worked out like that. So th these are, I guess, just, just some of the, the reasons why um, I, uh, I, I guess I've, I've never used anabolic steroids, I guess. Does, does that all make sense? Is yeah, there sure. anything you were thinking about? There was one other that? thing I was thinking about, which was I was lucky enough in the very early stages of learning about bodybuilding yeah. to know that there was a natural side to it. Yeah. So, because a lot of people that we speak to, even now, they'll mm -hmm. go, oh, is there natural shows you can do? Yeah. And they don't actually know that that's, a, that's even a part of bodybuilding. And it's still such a I small mean, part in the big bodybuilding pose. That you know we're 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 like we when we become when we are natural athletes if you like and we're talking about natural uh, being natural or doing natural shows we expect everybody to know what we're talking about mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> but actually yeah. the majority of time people are like who are they yeah, <laughs> what are I, they doing over there I think you made a, another really good point which um is is important I mean it depends on who your mentors are as well yeah, I mean, who who yeah. have you got around you yeah who you have time, around and, you to start with, I mean yeah. and it's, it's almost ironic because the, the and the original people that coached me were all steroid-using bodybuilders, but they were quite good steroid-using bodybuilders, and they were always of the opinion, like, look, we need to get you as good as we can possibly get you first, and then a few years down the line, if you want to use this stuff, let's maybe think about it then, but at this stage, you shouldn't be using that, that at all. And, I mean, other things as well, some of those guys I knew had, had health conditions, like they had heart problems, they had kidney issues. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that kind of puts you off maybe thinking about going down that route and just to, to qualify as well what Steph's saying like if people want to use steroids then or, or other performance hands and drugs then no problem if people want to use that I'm not sanctimonious about it I guess I would just always say like don't exaggerate how safe this is and um, there are health consequences opposed to this and and just be honest don't yeah. don't pretend that your strength isn't coming out a bottle mm. or yeah. your muscle like I, I'm of the opinion as well that I think it's important to have an open mind. You're in the bodybuilding industry, you know, and even though we're natural bodybuilders and we're, we, we support natural bodybuilding and everything else, um, that doesn't mean that you should, I suppose, be ignorant to the fact that bodybuilding since time immemorial oh, yeah, was sure. bodybuilding with, with, I suppose, that side of it to it. So it's just being, it's just being pragmatic about it and understanding the yeah. industry that you're in and then you deciding yourself, well, what, what this whole process of bodybuilding means to you and why you're doing it in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, really um, important, really important. So, yeah, that's kind of... I think I would actually, I'd actually backtrack on that comment about strength at the bottom. I would say that anabolics can definitely make up for poor quality training and nutritional habits. Um, they can absolutely compensate for that. Yeah. I guess is what I mean by that. Yeah, and I think I, I agree with that, to be honest, in the sense that you'll get a lot of assisted bodybuilders that perhaps aren't being as meticulous as naturals. And I think that's why a lot of assisted bodybuilders will sometimes look up to naturals or, or meet a natural bodybuilder or a drug-free bodybuilder that is at a high level. 
and they'll almost be perplexed as to how meticulous we are with our nutrition and training habits. Well, I guess, I mean, when I go to assisted shows or untested shows, whatever you want to call them, bodybuilding shows, you see the same things at those shows as you see at natural shows. You see people who have, they're, they're just bigger. You see people who have got a lack of conditioning or they've, um, they've got great upper bodies and weak lower parts or, or maybe they're not big enough. Um, they can't pose well. It's exactly, you see the exactly same things that amateur natural bodybuilders are, are doing. So th- these things are not magic pills that you can just take and make you a great bodybuilder mm. you can still unless you've got all the pieces to the puzzle they're not quite be able to um, in terms of training and nutrition put it all together and be a great bodybuilder you'll be bigger i, I, guess, I, I echo say. that sentiment though aj you know you, i've met um some bodybuilders who are assisted competitors and we'll have a conversation about you know how long's your prep how you know what, what are you doing to your prep and i'm standing there saying oh well it's 30 to 34 weeks for me to get to kind of potentially where I want to be condition wise and what 34 weeks you know that's kind of the complete that's kind of the the, the distinguished right there you know a, a difference between perhaps a 14 week prep to a 30 odd week prep and yeah. and then what we're doing in that cardio wise training wise um you know obviously calories what you're doing there it, it can be very different and very 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 specific when you listen to kind of the two sides of it if you like so not saying everyone's like that but just generally when i've when i've spoken about the differences yeah you do get a few shocks (laughs) shocked faces thinking oh my god are you willing to put yourself through that for 34 weeks (laughs) or whatever else so yeah cool yeah i i I totally agree i think i've been obviously now where, where i'm at and who i'm training with um up until recently of course I've I've been surrounded by a lot more assisted bodyboarders than I ever have before, yeah. um, and they they've asked me a lot of questions that I was surprised that they were asking me, and then their stances and the way that they'd start to change things and the way that they're approaching their preps and their preps for clients and things like that has slowly morphed towards what what they were asking me and what they were learning from from how naturals do it which i think it should be really similar to be honest well, well here's, yeah, here's a, a great you. example there, there's a fantastic study and i always come back to this published in the, the new england journal of medicine right back in 1996 there's a guy called fashion and he get and this is by the way a great advocacy for anabolic steroids they gave 500 milligrams of uh, testosterone ethanate to their uh, participants um and they, they gave them this per week and then they separated them into groups. They had people that took testosterone, people that didn't take testosterone, and then they've got another group of people that do exercise and take testosterone, and another group of people that just do the exercise. And the guys that just took testosterone and sat on the couch <laughs> felt more muscle and were stronger than the guys that were busting their ass up. Yeah. The guys that were taking testosterone in training, well, the, their, their actual gains were twice that of what the, um, the people that are just exercising alone are doing. And it, it just comes back to that point that you can get away with an awful lot of stuff if you are taking these really powerful uh, people, powerful drugs because um, you maybe don't have to be as meticulous with your, your diet and, and things like that. So I just brought that in there just to maybe, I think it's an important point on this. Yeah, and for sure. What you're saying. You're yeah. dropping knowledge bombs to the big boys. Knowledge bombs. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen, out of interest, I saw it reshared, I think it was reshared by Joe Jeffrey. I'm not sure whether you follow Joe at all. Yeah. Um, but did you see the placebo study that you shared the other day about um, a placebo group that were given placebo performance enhancing drugs and made more progress than a group that basically were not taking anything? 
No, I haven't can't, seen that. Can't say I've seen that. But I mean, that would be an interesting one to look at, though. That, um, that fits in quite nicely, though, with what we know about placebos and um, Professor Gold, um, is it Goldberg he's called, who writes a book, Bad Science. And he says things like, if you just give people, um, like, say, different colored tablets, or you put them in tablets, boxes, which are more expensive looking, or you change the way in things which are administered, so giving someone an injection versus giving them a tablet, then people will believe that this thing that they're actually taking is extremely powerful. Yeah. And he cites things like World War II um, soldiers being injected with seawater after D-Day because they ran out of morphine and thinking this stuff was giving them pain relief. So, wow. I mean, that, that does not surprise me at all. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, crazy. So... Moving on a little bit to a topic that I'm interested in is like the whole element of the pro card status. Sure. Um, and a lot, lot of people like nowadays are um, wanting to achieve that professional status. And uh, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hold anything about. I'm definitely one of those people that eventually want to get to that level, but I, I do definitely realize that it's a long journey to try and get there and it might take multiple, multiple attempts. So for you, for you guys, obviously you're at that level. How, how long did it take you to, to realize that your physique could, could take you there? Obviously, we know how hard you work, but ultimately bodybuilding is very genetically influenced. Um, when did you realize that? And when did the, the goal of getting a pro card really become a goal for, for you guys? Oh, it's just such a hard question. Um, I don't think ever when you begin something, you believe you have it in you to be the pro because you're just so um novice to it all and you're so you, you're looking at these people up there and thinking wow that's absolutely amazing I bet it's taken such a long time for them to get there so for me it was a case of I've got this idea of what I want to look like and if I could get anywhere near that then maybe some at some point there might be an opportunity I think when did it hit me that um, I was hopeful that my physique could potentially be worthy of earning a pro status? Probably two years into my, my once I'd got a couple of years under my belt and um, I'd had, you know, some quite early on successful achievements with hitting, you know, top fives or top threes or winning some shows and feeling really you know good about that but also then having some losses as well and and not hitting it quite where my prep wanted to be etc but I think it was after after the final end of year two and I came off stage after doing the typical rebound in year one having a really bad off season then I came off year two and thought no this is it now I need to like if I really want to think about potentially getting to pro in the next two three years which was then my goal um I need to knuckle down and I need to nail this off season. I need to understand my body. I need to do all the things and tick all the boxes from now on here on in over the next few years to get there. And that's for me where it hit. Um, I think just from a psychological perspective though, because I've come from a competitive background, I don't, um, I'm really hard on myself. So when I get an idea in my head of where I'm going with something, I'll, I'll put everything into it. And it's, I think in the very beginning for me it was like I got the bug straight away and then I just didn't want to rest until I could try and push and push and push and push to see what I could become so pro pro was probably about two three years into my journey that I started to think yeah let's do this by year five six for me 
and that's that's what I did. So year five? Year five was when I took pro. Yeah, so I was working about five years for that, and then the two years before that was before I even jumped on stage. So I mean, that's, so that's seven years? But yeah, six, six and a half, probably about six and a half years before I took that on the on the BNBF, finally getting the British British title to my pro card there. So yeah, that's my that's my sort I mean, of tale with it. That that's an interesting point actually because. We, we did a study on this when I was based at Hallam. And, uh, and what we did was we took the successful bodybuilders um, versus the non-successful bodybuilders and we surveyed them essentially to find out what they were doing and what was different. And what we see is a British champion, a female British champion, what you're looking at is probably around about two to three years of competitive experience usually. But on the back of that, about seven, eight, eight years on average is how long they've actually been training before they can actually be that top three competitor, that top, that top person. So that, that perfectly aligns with that, which is, uh, which is good to know. And I guess it's sort of, <laughs> um, it's an important point to make for people that, that maybe want to be the champion from a female perspective that look, you can't expect to just go up there and, and be the winner in the, the first year that this, if you want to be at that level, is, is going to take a little bit of time. There's exceptions to the rule, but I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's generally what the, the average is. It's it's a hard it's a hard process because every year and you'll see this as well, AJ, year on year, you're particularly in, this is maybe not so much in the in the male department, but in the female department, the, the the girl who wins the British Championship sometimes doesn't echo the girl that won the previous British Championship in terms of shape, look, overall conditioning, muscularity. Yes, so it's, so it's always quite hard and it has been through the journey to know how hard do I take it? How muscular do you have to be? You know, do I need a softer look at this finals? Do I not? Depending on kind of the, the qualifiers going through. So it's always been a bit of a, I think it was about year three where I just thought, screw it. I'm just going to bring what I perceive as my best and what the look is that I want to get to, which is really hard. I wanted to be rock hard. I wanted to be as big as I possibly could be. You know, that was my look. So I think... It's hard, it's hard in the female ranks because not everybody wants to take it to that extreme, but then you need to have a you need to have some sort of linear pitch through the figure classes, and that can be quite difficult, especially nowadays with so many con different classes that we've now got. Yeah, so, this is a conversation so, yeah, that you could do a, a whole a, an episode then, on um, easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's just a, another little thing to throw in there with when a girl's trying to decide when she's ready to kind of take it up a notch. It's, focusing on well what does your structure bring and what can you kind of um, I suppose push to your own max and not pitch too much on other other looks mm. um yeah yeah so so that that's your sort of perspective I guess and then um, from from my perspective what it was was I mean I was a an extremely successful junior competitor I I won two British titles as a junior and was a runner-up twice did world championships and yeah, it was um, it was a really sort of um, successful time for me. So I sort of worked out, okay, well, I'm obviously I've got some aptitude for this. I'm, I'm quite good at this. But being a junior champion is very different from being a a misters champion. I mean, you're going up against, you're competing against grown men, and uh, and bodybuilding as a sport, as we know, is you you get better with age. I mean, the the days mm -hmm. of guys where um, you're you're turning pro at 22 and 23. You, you rarely see that in the IFBB pro ranks, or at least you didn't used to see it until they, they changed how you could obtain a pro card. Um, 
And guys typically get their best around about 31, 29, probably around about there. I mean, you look at the, the age of Mr. Olympia winners, they're a little bit, a little bit older. So when I was going to, uh, when I finished being a junior, I, I was still not convinced that, I mean, I would um, be competitive enough to actually win uh, a pro card. And it wasn't for a lack of self-belief. It was just I was very aware of how strong the competition was when, you, when I'm going to go in to compete against them. Um, middleweight and heavyweight competitors and you'll probably be very similar to me AJ in terms of your weight when you go out here you're going to be on the cusp of being maybe like a a light yeah. heavyweight or a heavy middleweight and if you end up having to get thrown against the heavyweight guys then that, that's a different scenario compared to if you're a heavy heavy middleweight where it's like well this is all Brady, gets me to say that it's all games it's all games I think in the future that will be my cusp if I, was, yeah. if I was to compete this year, the cusp is more likely whether I'll be a heavy lightweight or a light middleweight, in my yeah. opinion. Okay. Yeah. Well, the biggest gains I ever made were between when I competed as a junior to when I competed again, again as a as a mister, and it was just becoming a man, really, just getting older, and um, that that's what made made the difference. So. I guess I did the first year of um, of competing. Um, I won my first overall at the Scottish Championship. I went to the British Finals, and I um, I managed to win the the middleweight class. So I was really pleased with that. So I, I then went at the, the the overall, and I missed out on the um, the the title there to win the the pro card there. And then I guess at that point, that at the end of that season, I thought, okay, well maybe I might be good enough to be a pro. Now being good enough to to win a pro card is slightly different being able than being a good pro. That's those are two different things, obviously as well. But I was um, three times at a British finals overall, and I think a further two times at a world finals overall before I won won my pro card. So I, <laughs> I I've probably got a record for uh, most number of <laughs> British British titles for, by virtue of not being good enough. <laughs> That's what I always joke. So. I was, uh, yeah, that, that was 2014. I think I eventually um, won the pro card. But I can't, you, you never know until you get up there and you're standing next to the guys in your class how, you, how it's going to span out and how you're going to look uh, and whether or not you're going to be good enough to, um, to win that pro card or, or be, be a pro, I guess. But yeah, until I got to the mister stage, that, that was when I, I sort of knew that maybe, okay, I was going to be good enough to do this. Yeah, for sure. And that actually reminds me of when I first saw you compete, and that was 2014 when you won your pro card. Oh, well, there we go. At the Echo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that was a great show. Well, awesome. for me, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so how, how many... So, so when you won the, the British Juniors, yeah, how, how, did you take any years off in between before you went for your so, first attempt at middleweights? Because cause I'm a maniac, I did four years of uh, junior competing. Yeah, that, that's probably why the, the other reason why I've probably got some record because I, I competed prolifically. So I did four years of that. Um, and then I think I took 2009 to 2012. So like yourself, yeah. Okay. Like three yeah. years off. Um, and I can't remember what age it would be. Maybe 24, 25 by the time I, I took my first step onto the, um, onto the stage as an as actual male competitor in the, the Mr. classes. Cool. Yeah, just, just get bigger and better. Yeah, it's pretty pretty much the exact same thing I've done in terms of time span. That's pretty cool. Um, 
So well, it's, it's proven to at least get you some of the way there, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. so definitely do one better than me is what I'd say. Yeah. Three, three attempts await me. <laughs> All right. So, um, it made me a better competitor. I'll, I'll tell you that. By the time yeah. I won it in 14, I was a far polished competitor and I was really ready to hang as a pro. Yeah. To be honest, like if, if I'm totally honest with you, I'd rather have it that way than have oh, yeah. it given to me too soon. Um, I, I've, I've, seen thought, it, AJ. I've, I've, I've seen it. Sorry to cut you off where guys have won a pro card and he's not been ready for it and they've gone at the pro ranks and it just, they would have been better off just staying as amateurs for a few years because they, they no longer win. It probably sucks the fun out of it for them. And like, they're maybe just making up the numbers. The game changes, doesn't it? As soon as yeah. you become a pro, the game entirely changes. You, oh, yeah. you can no longer do the whole lovely qualifier British journey and you're just looking for pro shows and things like that so like i've 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 always thought i i actually really like being an amateur and i'd like to it's experience great. the the tough rise to the top as opposed to sort of just being given it um sort of straight on a plate kind of thing not that it would be um but it might feel that way if i was to do it like first shot um yeah, but it depends we'll I see think that there is one that is one good thing about competing in the natural federations though the, the pro, you have to, you really work hard to earn a pro title. And um, I think, I think again, another whole topic of chat we could go into is the introduction of kind of however many pro cards in different organizations and how quick and how easily they're given out. And that's a whole different topic of discussion. Yeah. But it does, it does tend to kind of devalue the pro card status. Yeah, and yeah, I think with, with like what you're saying, that journey to the top, I can echo that. It, it was amazing and I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. I wouldn't have wanted to just get a full card in a year or, you know, even two years. It's a huge process of learning how to do this um, over time and understand your body and go through the ups and downs of it because there are some really big lows of bodybuilding oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, for sure. um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree and with you. I think that's something we can take for a natural. The losses, yeah. the losses, make, you, the losses make you much better. Definitely, yeah, for sure. So, um, Uki, can you pause this a second so I can run to the loop? Is that all right, yeah, mate? Just give me one. Oh. Second. So, next next topic I wanted to to sort of go into with you guys is a little bit more about about last year. Um, not too much in terms of the whole season because uh, I listened to the the Revive Stronger podcast with with you, Andy, and uh, oh yeah, and, and that that his one question turned into basically your entire season. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was a monologue i think apparently people enjoyed that i was like I talked right i loved it afterwards for like about 50 minutes or something like that hopefully people find it useful like the Chappelle chronicles on revive stronger uh, yeah no it was that was a really good episode so yeah if, if anyone wants to hear basically pretty much everything about it <laughs> then uh go check out that, that episode on on steve's podcast um but more so what i wanted to talk about is um, basically you, you guys are very open to competing in different federations and there's, you know, me and Lee have talked about this a lot. We talked about it on the last podcast about how there is sometimes a little bit of tension about crossing federations, not so much. Um, well, actually there is still in the assisted field, like still a little bit of heat. If you cross federations and compete elsewhere, I knew there was a lot of tension when the UK BFF was big. Um, if you competed elsewhere, there used to be issues with that. Um, 
Now, I just want to sort of get your stance as to how you feel like it's a positive thing to be able to compete in several different federations and why you think that, you know, now that you've experienced all of them, what, what that has given you as athletes and maybe where you're at now with, you know, you have both two pro statuses, what that has now opened up in terms of level of competition and opportunity for competition for you guys. So just talk a little bit more about where you've competed and what you've, what, what you've gotten from each federation. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of things in there, AJ. So I, I'll, Apologies. Okay, I, I may have to ask you again, some of those, some of those questions. So That's cool. What was the first one exactly again? What, what was it? It was, so basically just the advantages, was it? Well, yeah. What you feel the positives are of competing in, in several different federations. Okay, right. Um, I mean, there's there's loads, and and I should say from the outset, I've competed in basically everywhere throughout my whole bodybuilding career: UKBFF, NABA, BMBF, um, UKDFBA, um, as well, plus multiple um, independent shows, and then uh, internationally different places as well. So, through my whole career, I guess I've. I've competed in, in lots of, of different places. And these are just more opportunities for you as an athlete to, to compete and, uh, and experience something slightly, slightly different because all these different stages, they all offer something slightly different. They've got their own flavor of what they think um, bodybuilding should be. And, and I always say to all my clients, whenever they're, uh, they're thinking about going in for a season or, or doing bodybuilding, particularly if they're, they're new to it, that you should compete and lots of different places to, to get the experience yeah. of being a bodybuilder for a start because mm. nothing makes you a better bodybuilder aside from actually doing the bodybuilding itself. Being mm. on stage, getting the tanning sorted, flexing, competing. These things are important. But also in terms of just trying out different federations, see what you enjoy. Maybe you like the way the shows are run. Maybe people look after you slightly different at different federations. Maybe there's a better vibe um, it's just more fun. Maybe it's more competitive. So it's it's up to you what you want to get out of it. But definitely, I, I would say don't don't restrict yourself. Compete in lots of different places. Give yourself lots of different um, opportunities uh, to to do that. And then there's a final thing I'll say. Um, unfortunately, though, it would seem as as you were saying at the start that the although the athletes could be okay with doing that, a lot of the federations don't seem to be as is happy about that but that, that's something we can we can get on and talk about in a second what, what do you think Steph? Yeah I mean I echo all of that I think you well regardless of where you are in your experience of being a bodybuilder yeah. whether that's total first timer or whether it's somebody who is a seasoned athlete or a pro or whatever generally the consensus is maybe more so towards a more experienced competitor is you love competing you yeah. enjoy it you really enjoy it and if, if I take the, the example of the first timer here, they've done their first ever prep, they're in the best shape they've ever gotten in their life, um, we hope, and sure. um, why not, it would be the question to me, try as many different federations and shows as you can, because that's going to be a learning experience. To the person who's really experienced and has had years under their belt and loves it, mm -hmm. again, the question is why not? Because you have, put blood, sweat and tears for years into this um, sport and you want to have a platform to be able to get up and do, do what you love and show that hard work that you've, you, you know, you've produced. And for people like us, who it's also our livelihood, we live like you, AJ, you know, we live and breathe this with our clients, with the people we work with, we're in the gyms talking about fitness daily. You know, this is something we love to do. So we don't want to limit ourselves to just one specific 
area because it, it, it's, um, well, it's limiting. Yeah. It's limiting um, to not just your own athletic pursuits, but to your, I suppose, the whole um, knowledge of gaining more insight to bodybuilding and what else is out there. So, yeah, that's my stance on it. And I, I guess to, to make another sort of point here, I guess when, when, we were, when I was competing and pursuing the goal of the pro card, you have, you have to realize that that was the option that was there as well. The, the, the dynamics sort of shifted a little bit now as well in terms of now there is a pro card on offer seriously elsewhere that you can go and uh, go and compete mm. for. So, I mean, that is maybe why I competed in one federation for a long time, I guess, um, as well. Plus, it, it was good as well. I enjoyed it. So, but yeah, there, there's lots of positives to be had from, from competing in lots of different places. Depends what you want to get out of the, the sport. I wanted that pro card at the, the sort of, at the, the time there. Um, so yeah, lots of positives. So that, that, I guess, was the first question you had. Does that answer that? Yeah, it does, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys in terms of the, like the positives of competing in, in several different federations. It's something that I've done since the start, and it's something that I recommend to all yeah. of my clients as, as well when, when yeah. they initially begin is that, you know, you just want to sort of get your feet wet and see, mm. see what you enjoy. And then even after their first year of competing, like a lot of my clients came to me at the end of last year and, and said, Oh no, I, I think I'll, I'll stick to, to this federation in the future, or I like this a little bit more and I'll stick to that one. And, and, and yeah, that was a 50, 50 split to be honest in terms of which one they liked over the other. Um, and which one they want to lay their focus on when their goals become bigger. So, you know, the, the goal of getting a pro card, they might fancy getting a WMBF pro card. They might fancy going for the DFAT pro card. And that's totally up to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for you, I, I, I want sort of like as, as much honesty as you can give into this question as possible. But when you set out your 2019 prep, did you initially did you initially have the idea of trying to get to the WMBF world? So when you started the prep or did that sort of become more of a reality in the later portion of the prep when you thought, well, actually I'd like to see if that's a possibility and you saw people prepping for the show and, and thought, well, if I can get into that, then is that an opportunity? Okay. So very short answer to the first question. No. Yeah. The WMBF, that, that was never a goal. Um, right, right from the outset, that that was not, um, that wasn't a goal. That from from the outset, actually, me, me and Steph, we were looking towards doing a, a guest. We were going to do a guest spot, and we, in I fact, remember. we were even going to compete. We were just like, I've not competed in a while. I need to do something to get myself back in shape. Um, this kind of coincides with how we sort of met. <laughs> well, we're not met, but well, how we, met, but how we when we started seeing each other yeah. I guess and um, we started fell into place yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a, that's a I suppose another question but I mean we've known each other for a very long time I suppose the first time we, we properly met was well 2013 2014 15 we sort of saw each other at shows and then we properly got to know each other in 2015 didn't we in, at the amateur worlds yeah, in sure. um, Miami when we did the DFAC yeah and that's when we properly got to know each other had um a time between that rubbish relationships in between that they failed we moved on and then <laughs> and then so it transpired that we we started to kind of talk and talk fitness and did a bit of fitness work together for a while in 27 no, no 28 20 at the tail end and um that's Shiny. when we decided right let's um get together and 
we were talking a lot about closing. Obviously, I was doing a lot of my closing business. Andrew was doing, um, well, he's, as you can see, an absolute expert in closing. And we thought, let's put co my choreography and his choreography together and come up with a guest spot and do the guest spot at the BNB. Well, it was originally Scottish, but we moved it back to the Midlands. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, and that's where it all started it, with the prep for that originally. Okay. Yeah, but it was never intended to be like a bodybuilding season. It just kind of evolved, uh, evolved into that. And it was, I would, and, the, and I guess the plan would have been, I'll do the, the British Grand Prix with BMBF and then go on and do the, the DFAC Worlds after that and then Bob's your uncle and done. Um, and you were maybe going to do the, um, do the DFAC Worlds and, uh, and, that, and that, would, that would be you as well. So that's, that's what it originally was. We, we never planned to do... Um, to, to do anything aside from that. Um, and then I guess a whole load of, well, a lot of things sort of transpired in that time that neither of us were particularly happy um, were happy about, um, particularly in the way that we felt we were being treated. Um, I, I don't know if you want to talk about this, really, Steph. Yeah, um, I, mean, I, think, I think overall, you know, the topic of why um, it's kind of con controversial, I think, you know, pros jumping over to different shows or um, competitors jumping to different shows. I always kind of say, well, why, why does it have to be controversial in the first place? And it certainly, I don't think, comes from like the athletes wanting to just do the shows. Mm. I think, you know, it comes from that kind of an unspoken sort of feeling, I suppose, when you, like when you mentioned at the show, start, yeah. yeah, you can't really like put your finger on it. I don't necessarily think anyone means any ill will by it, but you might go and do a BMBF show, for example, and then you might go and do a UKBFBA show a couple of weeks later, for example, and and then that's not seen maybe particularly well by BMBF or, you know what I mean? Nice it's fashion. just that kind of um, strange sort of um, distaste, I guess. And it doesn't, I feel it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. But throughout, throughout the year when we were doing our preps, a few things transpired, weren't really all that happy about. Um, one of those things, I think, well, we were talking about this before the podcast. You can, let, you can let things slide most of the time because people have different personality types. And you're not always going to get like, you know, I'm a really open, gregarious, quite bubbly person. You might not always get that back from someone. And that's cool. That's just the way they are. And you can let different personalities and attitudes slide most of the time because you don't really know much about these people you can't just base it on one or two times you see them in a year at bodybuilding mm. show yeah, yeah, yeah i think um a couple of nails in the coffin for me was going out to the dfac worlds and for my first pro show and not receiving the prize money that was was granted for that show and that yeah. was something that i've been umming and eyeing about talking about and i don't really like talking about it because it doesn't really leave a very good taste in my mouth about it but certainly it wasn't something I was very happy about there was a couple of other people two other pros which I'm not going to bother going into just now that was the same and we all discussed at the time because the American competitors were were paid their prize money and the British competitors weren't and that was a really big deal at the time for me because I obviously put everything out there I'd gone out taking my taking my win on this on the second place in my first pro show and then that wasn't granted and I pushed it, emailed, talked about it, tried to get this sorted for what was the best part of nearly three years post that. And it was really when we got together. And I told you, I think it was only in one of the very first like, times yeah. we started speaking and, about our journeys. And, and I was shocked because was, at this moment, it's to use the analogy, and you know, the Wizard of Oz, 
whereby uh, you've got the grand, powerful wizard, and then they pull back the curtain, and there's this meek guy behind it who's running the whole sort of show. And this whole time, I've been sort of trumpeting this sort of um, this the virtues of this organisation, and then what I sort of see is something which is well, it's corruption. And uh, I mean that really that upset me, and uh, and and it upset me to see someone that I respected to be treated like that. So I mean yeah, that I sort of changed some perspectives that yeah. I had with uh, with the the organisation. And we um, we brought it up again with the organisation, and um, that money was then paid. Okay. Um, okay. Like three three years, three years later. Yeah. So right. And I I can't help feel that that was made amends because we were now, you know, an yeah. item and things, you know, that was all kind of going that way. And that's, and, and I don't mean any disrespect by opening this topic up. It's just something that personally for me as a competitor wasn't fair. It wasn't right. And it was something that um, kind of hit the nail home for me. And it was at that point, actually, that I decided that's it. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to compete with this federation again. Okay. So that was, that was pretty fiercely kind of, set in stone for me. The guest spot was something else, but competing onwards was sort of DFAC. I know you mentioned it earlier, but that was never going to be my plan ongoing for from then because, well, I couldn't trust whether going out there was worth my while. Of course, it's not always about the prize money. It certainly isn't. But when you're spending upwards of a thousand, two thousand pounds to go over to America for potentially a week, accommodation, flights, etc., all of that to do the show. And then, you're, you know, if you do actually get to the point where you can take something from it and you don't get it, that was... That was a pretty hard thing to, hard, hard pill to swallow. Hard at pill to swallow, yeah. So that combined with a couple of other things was sort of it for me. But um, yeah, I think we started to think about, well, where are we going with our bodybuilding careers? And what does the DFAC pro card mean? Certainly for me, it meant that when I, when I took that pro card, I had no other show to do. I couldn't do any other show apart from going to America to do that show as yeah. a professional. Um, and so I had to kind of have a good, honest conversation about, well, I might have to just disregard that pro card, or if I'm not going to be able to compete with them again, I'm going to have to go back to square one to potentially go through the amateur ranks. And this is then when we opened up the conversation with Lee to say, well, would we, be, would we, if, well, certainly on my side, would I be able to compete as a pro? And of course, respectfully with his rules, no had to go through, obviously, and, uh, compete as an amateur again, but come through and go down. I mean, even up until we did the, the British finals uh, with, with the BNBF, um, that our goal was never still to do the the, um, the the WNBF. I mean, we'd reached out to Lee and just chatted to him and, and Lee seemed, um, well, yes, he's a perfectly reasonable guy. He loves bodybuilding. Um, and we sort of um, buried a few sort of uh, <laughs> hatchets that we, we maybe had with, with each other. Um, and then from from there, sort of, we, there was several unsavory incidents that that we felt happened at the the BNBF British Finals. I mean, Steph got out of season drug tested just being an audience member, and um, like she's not even a member. She's not been a member for three years at that point. It was all handled extremely poorly, extremely poorly. Um, we'll not go into details of well, we, well, we'll just not. Um, did, did it, did, did what they asked, obviously everything came back perfectly fine, but it was just, I think it was again another, um, so, why? Yeah, why, why? I think, I think, AJ, that was the question, and yeah. completely honest, 
um, at the very point which that happened, you know, I'm sat in the audience watching this one compete, like screaming from the rooftops. We've got clients in the show and then someone comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, Steph, can you come for a drug test at BNBF finals, which I haven't done. I haven't been at a, a BNBF show or done their organization for over two and a half years. It's, um, it was really quite upsetting. It was quite an upsetting experience. Did I want to make a big song and dance of it there and say, no, I'm not doing a, a drug test? No, of course not. You know, because I felt exploited. I felt pretty put on the spot. So I just went and did it. And, and then afterwards, it was only afterwards really that I reflected on it and I thought, do you know what? That wasn't, that wasn't right. That really wasn't right. Um, but their argument, I guess, and we took it up with them afterwards as well, just to check, you know, what the deal was with that. Didn't really get much from it apart from, well, you're a DFAC pro, so therefore we can drug test you when we like. And I just sort of thought, well, that means for the rest of my life, I'm beholden to potentially being called up at any point to, to be drug tested. Um, I understand slightly, because of course, if I'm going to hold the DFAC name in, my, in, in what I do, then do they have a right to do that? Perhaps they do, perhaps they don't. I didn't have anything to hide at the time, still don't. So I'm just going to sort of say it wasn't a great experience for me and further solidified my reasons why the culture didn't fit with my values and my morals of how they were kind of making me feel and, and certainly how they made you feel as well. So that's my honest, that's my honest um, sort of experience with that. Again, it's, you have to sort of realize that, I mean, you competing since 2006 with, with this organization, very, very much intertwined in, in the fabric of it. And then you go to an event and, uh, and people won't even speak to you. I mean, you're, you're, you're made pretty clear that you're no longer really welcome. And um, I mean, after that show, um, it, it solidified the reason, well, okay, if we're surplus to requirements here, then we can go elsewhere. And, and Lee was really, he was really excited about taking us on. And do you know what, before this, AJ, I mean, if you go back to like 2014, 15, et cetera, when I was trying to win the pro card, the, the UK DFBA wasn't really an option. It, it, it had a single... British finals, which was like an open show, but it didn't have the qualifying yeah. setup that it had. Um, it has just now, as it does and now, it, yeah. it's much more legitimate as an actual federation. And now I think actually the the standard of the federation is at least as good as the the BNBF or, or likewise. I think they're they're easily on a par. But that was never the case before. But by the time we come around to 2019, um, we've we've had some unsavory experiences. I guess um, that that federation's there. We can go and do that. And then there's an opportunity to potentially go and compete at a, a world finals in, in New York. I mean, who's not going to want to take that opportunity? It's a fantastic thing to do. Uh, a trip as part of a team out to go and do these things. And, and I always say to the people that are doing bodybuilding, I mean, what do you want to get out of this? I mean, what sort of experiences do you want? And I mean, that's a great thing that you can get out of bodybuilding is you can travel the world. You can, uh, you can do these sort of things. So, I, I mean, that, I think, that was a reason. I think yeah. as well, it's quite obvious, like the... the the culture Lee is providing the athletes um, at the UK DFBA, and I'm not just talking about from a competitor. Even when I went when I went to the shows last the year before, I did UK DFBA last year, and even my very first experience in 2013, it's a completely different vibe. It's a really great um, atmosphere for the athletes, and even those who potentially don't place feel like they're part of something, and that they have got an opportunity to come back and they've been welcomed back to the stages to help grow um, and progress. And that's, um, there's something to be said for that because this isn't just about a winner. This isn't just a winner's sport. This is 
this is an ongoing pursuit for a lot of people. Like, yeah. Um, so that element of culture that is being sort of really uh, well observed, I think, in UK DFBA, sang to my morals and values, which is one of the reasons why I thought, no, that is, I want to, I want to do this because I enjoy it. When something doesn't become enjoyable anymore, when you're turning up to a show and, and you're actually walking through the doors and you feel a little bit like, I, I don't feel like, like I'm, people even want me here kind of thing or something yeah. like that. I mean, that's an extreme way of putting it, but you want to do it because you enjoy it. That's what bodybuilding is all about. The, you know, the walking through the doors, feel, feeling the vibe, feeling the energy, seeing people like all tanned up, getting geared up to go on stage, people supporting one another, a little bit of friendly rivalry, never hurt anybody, you know, yeah. good competition, all of that. That's what a good bodybuilding show is all about. And the second that the spark is lost in that, that's when you know, you want to start maybe assessing, well, where, where do you want to go with it all? And that's really essentially what we did. We just decided that it was time for a change. And I think it's important that professionals in natural bodybuilding share the stages. I think, wouldn't it be awesome if all, all of the pros could get on stage together and compete it out against the best? You know, what really is a world champion? If, if a world champion competes against everybody across the world on all different federations. That to me is a world champion. Um, you know, and so I think for me, it'd be great to see everybody compete everywhere and hopefully it will start. Hopefully people will start being able to feel more comfortable, I guess, about switching to different federations at different levels and competing with them all just for the sake of growing the sport and collaborating a bit more together with it. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked all about a lot of stuff there, AJ, and hopefully, um, We've not just been uh, waffling um, throughout, throughout that, but I guess the through line here was it was just it was about respect, and um, I mean, there's the the word loyalty is bandied around a little bit, a, a lot, I guess, and and we felt that look, I mean, that's got to work both ways. So you have to, we have to be treated with respect for us to treat other federations, I guess, with with respect, mm -hmm. and then uh, we didn't feel like we were getting anyway. So we, I guess, we just decided, well, that this is a great opportunity. Let's go and do it, and then uh, we we're welcome with open arms and yeah this was a great experience i loved it it was really really good completely different vibe and yeah. um, it was fun cool well first of all i'd like to thank you guys for like opening up quite honestly sure. about that i know that it's not a particularly easy topic to talk about without sounding like you're you know being harsh or being critical but at yeah. the end of the day yeah. the end of the day in any sport any sport if there's something going on that's not good or that's not like not putting the athlete in a good place people would talk about it and i feel as if in 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 bodybuilding at the moment people are feeling a little bit more afraid to be honest about certain things that are going on in certain federations a certain feeling or emotion they have at a show um or the certain way that they get treated and and i don't i don't think that's right to be honest no i'm, I'm uh, you're right it's so, not so this is not like in any means a detraction away from from where people should try to aim to compete or, or try out federations it's more so just a reflection of your your personal experiences and that is not a reflection of the the federation itself it's just a reflection of how this is this has come to you guys this is this is yeah. your journey and this is your particular circumstance and that may not happen with everyone so i just wanted to sort of like end on that note so we're not 
Yeah, no, you're, you're know, absolutely right. And you know, this, this is our own experience. And that's not to say that this experience will happen to everybody because it certainly hasn't. And a lot of people have had extremely positive ones and will go on to have a lot of positive ones. Yeah. This, there's, this is not about the Federation, the Federation itself, what they've done to grow, you know, an incredible stage for athletes, amazing lighting, incredible, like, a pro card that, by the way, is extremely well, well hard to earn, mm. <laughs> very yeah. hard to earn. You, and you can see the standard of athletes on their stages. It's we're not talking, you know, they're doing. They've given people an absolutely incredible platform to be able to showcase what they do. And that's this is this conversation is not taking that away from from them at all. And then certainly, I think you know we have the respect where it's due. I guess it's from our personal experiences, it's a shame we've, we've had a couple of things along the way that I wish were slightly different, but you, you know, everybody's gonna have different things with different experiences they've got in yeah. all life. So yeah, that's it. Perfect. Is there anything you wanted to add to that, Andy, or should we, should um, we end on a, a more positive final topic to cover? <laughs> Well, no, I, I'm all for positives. I think yeah, that, that's positive. the thing. I, I don't think we really need to say any more. I mean, you, you summarized it well when you talk about people are scared but to, to do these things, but, and, and that's all I would sort of say. But, I mean, it's important that people talk out as well. Yeah, don't so, be scared. So, well, one of my favorite bodybuilders is, um, is Sean Ray. And I love Sean Ray because he um, was a great bodybuilder first and foremost, but he's an entrepreneur, um, but he's, um, he's a great spokesman. And he was the... Um, IFBB athlete sort of rep for a long time and he spoke up and tried to get better conditions for athletes and said when things weren't great and I think more people who are at the top need to sort of come in and say look this isn't great we need to try and do a little bit better to try and grow the sport to try and make it better and, and I hope what we did at the very least whereby going and competing elsewhere it sort of opens it up for our people to say well maybe maybe I don't have to compete within this same on this same stage all the time and I can compete elsewhere and, and I would always encourage people to do yeah uh, to do that so I, I think that's a positive thing doing doing that agreed yeah. yeah yeah I think I think you guys definitely set the tone for for what may well be other people following in your footsteps um which I think is a great thing um and we already have people out there like ben lloyd who just actively yeah. competes in both and yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great thing and I, I think it should be more freely allowed and not frowned upon and shouldn't reflect in placings and you know not that it does but it, unfortunately sometimes it, it may well do um as a result of just people being more loyal than another and it's just it's just uh yeah it well, sometimes gets a little messy I, I see this as a challenge though aj i mean with, without the bodybuilders you don't have the bodybuilding shows so this is actually a great opportunity for the, any federation in this day and age to up their, their game and say, okay, we're actually even better. Look how great our stages are. Look how much better experience we can give you so that they actually want to get, you want to not go anywhere else and, and compete on any of our stages. It's, it's an opportunity for that sort of thing to, uh, to happen. And I, and I hope all federations say, oh yeah, people are moving around a lot bit more. We need to do even better with this. Give yeah. people even better experience. So it is positive. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. So as final, final topic. Go for it. Cover a little bit. Cover a little bit on nutrition for people. So, um, yeah. one of the things that I've seen is quite sort of heavily focused in the way that you diet, um, Andy. Especially, I haven't seen too much, but I'm imagining you're very similar, Seth, um, with the way that you diet down. Is a, a, a sort of a, a slightly bigger focus, primary focus on 
keeping carbohydrates very high and high carb dieting. And obviously you've done your research on that, Andy, as well. Um, which actually my, my girlfriend's doing is this ISSN diploma and it was part of part of that final segment or something like that. Your research paper was there. Oh, fantastic. She, she was like, she, 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 she mentioned this study on, she was like, Oh, there's a study on comparing carbohydrates across bodybuilders. And I was like, yeah, that's Andy's. And she <laughs> checked in and it was like, she was like, how did you know that? <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so basically what, what I want to ask is almost, when it comes to higher carbohydrate dieting and like being able to, to, to do that. And um, so a lot of people will, will think it's, it's almost like some sort of wizardry that you're performing, but is there, is what are the prerequisites that are predominantly formed in the off season as to how people can start to, to diet down on potentially more food than they've had in the past or predominantly more carbohydrates. Um, and yeah, so, so if you had a client that dieted on low carbs, for example, in the past, Mm, and they come to you and you're like okay i want to try and get you into a position to be able to diet on more food what what would you do with that person in the off season to be able to work towards that would you you want to come on this there as well yeah yeah just okay okay, so i mean you you mentioned some really important things um and this whole thing i mean the, the, the high carbs is just one of the tools that we have in the sports nutrition toolbox obviously to to try and get someone in the best possible shape they, they can be in and there are a number of prerequisites in here so for example i mean even in that research paper that you mentioned there um, guys men typically are better at a higher carbohydrate concentration than women yes, yeah and that is that's just down to physiology women metabolize fat a little bit better than, than guys and um, that doesn't mean that they still can't be high carb dieters it just means that they're maybe not going to be as high carb dieters and that was that was reflected in the um and the research that, that we've done on this uh, this particular topic. And um, you mentioned things here about building up the calories. I mean, that's the exact thing that you would, you would hope to do. Uh, it depends what sort of condition or state someone comes into you in the, uh, in the first place, because, and, and, I, get, and I guess it, it depends on what that person's activity levels are like um, from there and how high you can actually potentially take the, the carbohydrates. But uh, Typically, what you would do is you, you start with uh, with protein, and, and this is the thing that I said in this paper is that bodybuilders typically they, they prioritize macronutrients. So protein is is often first. We think about that in terms of once we can get that down, that's that's important, and that's usually in the off season around about one point eight, maybe one point six. You could go as low as that to uh, about two point two grams per kilogram of body weight based on someone's uh, energy requirements. And then after that, your fats are probably looking at between somewhere about 0.7 to, uh, to 0.1 grams per kilogram of body weight. And then the rest of it after that, you're trying to partition towards carbohydrate. But these sort of ideas and recommendations for, for carbohydrates, they're, they're not new. So um, Slater and Phillips were publishing guidelines on bodybuilding populations consuming higher car- calorie intakes from carbohydrates way back in 2004. We're saying that actually if you're doing resistance type training because glycolysis eg pumping is your main energy source then you actually bodybuilders should be eating probably between four to seven grams of um, carbohydrates when they're training so my research more or less just sort of confirms their findings that actually you can diet on a higher sort of um, carbohydrate um, amount so that that's that's a, a few things there i guess I'm, i've talked about so in terms of unpackaging it for helping out a client well 
everyone's different, as I say. Some people are going to do a little bit better with it than, than our people. If someone's got a better aerobic capacity, then they've probably got more mitochondria within their muscle. And that's, that's the powerhouse of the cell, the one that's responsible for metabolizing energy. They're probably going to do a little bit better with, um, with a higher carbohydrate diet. So people who have got, come from a background of playing sports, um, runners, for example, these people seem to do really well at metabolizing carbs. Um, but what, what we do is we just try and up the calories while monitoring body fat levels to make sure that they're not getting overly um, over fat, if you like, and they're not getting too far away from what their contest weight would be because any more than about 10 or 12% and you're probably a little bit too high because it's all got to come off. And then we, we build it up. We, we build it up from there and see how high we can potentially take, take the carbs. Um, and by virtue of taking the carbs higher, protein typically comes up higher because you've got um, things like cereals, which have got really high protein content alongside them. And then you're hoping to get them to a point whereby their baseline diet is high as possible so that when you actually start your contest diet, you've got more calories to, uh, to work with when it comes to getting someone in shape for competition. And I'm sure you probably do a very similar thing yourself. Yeah? For sure, for sure. I mean, I, I, was, I don't have any sort of magic solution or anything that, that I can give you, apart from it's probably things you already know, and that this research probably just confirms your understanding and confirms what you probably know already. So it's, it's very similar things. You, you try and take the carbs higher. You work out what foods people typically do a little bit better with. You work out what fits in with their lifestyle a little bit better um, and, and you go from there. I guess you've got these sort of ideas in your head of how you want the diet to go with someone. So you're thinking, okay, well, optimally carbohydrates are good because they're going to fuel performance, but sooner or later people still need to lose weight. Mm. So what your ideal is for someone compared to what you actually have to end up doing, you have to have a little bit of flexibility in there. So you can't be sort of rigid and be like, we're never going to go lower calories or uh, we're never going to do carbohydrate cycling or, or cheat meals or refeeds or things that are never should happen. You have to have all these tools again in the toolbox to potentially help you out because mm. people are better in different approaches now. And that's, that's genetic, that's soci sociological as well, just how they've, they're used to doing it. Does that answer your question? I should say first and foremost. Yes. Yeah, nails it. Um, okay. Steph, what were you adding on that? No, I, was just going to, I was just going to add on from a perspective of a lot of the work they have to do with predominantly female clients is actually to just talk about what carbs are and not to be oh, yeah. frightened of carbs. And it's not excess carbs that translate into more body weight. It's, it's excess, excess calories. calories yeah. No matter where they come from. So, you know, we have to do, and I know that's something we typically hear a lot about, but it's still this, um, there's still this attachment to carbohydrates, particularly in females when they come, you know, perhaps on a low calorie diet, I can't touch the carbohydrates. Well, switching their mindset by actually tricking them in and, and, and raising that up can really transfer how they perceive eating properly and what carbohydrates, how, how well carbohydrates play a part in an optimal diet, and specifically in, in tandem with performance in the gym, of course. They see their training rock up because they've oh, yeah. got energy stores to be able to actually push heavy, etc. So there's that side of it as well, which is important from a, from a female I mean, perspective. Are, are you aware of what, what Gary Tubes would call the insulin hypothesis? I've not heard of that, no. So it, it works like this. So insulin is a storage hormone, yeah? So it drives carbohydrate into, uh, into your muscle cells. So when you consume food, you, uh, you break down the carbohydrates via digestion, and then you absorb those carbohydrates, and then glucose streams through your bloodstream, 
And then to regulate your body's um, blood glucose levels, you obviously release insulin from the pancreas, drive the glucose into the muscle. Well, insulin also has another role as well. Insulin is involved in um, lipogenesis. So the, uh, the, the process of making lipids and making adipose tissue essentially, yeah? So the theory kind of goes like this from Gary Tubes, and it's, um, okay, so carbs release insulin, insulin gets increased, insulin causes fat storage, ergo carbs are bad. And I think that's the level that most people seem to be, to be operating on, but it's, it's simply not true. It's the, the calorie excess which ultimately leads to the, uh, the, the increase in actual body weight rather than actually the... Um, actually carbs per se. Now, I mean, there's nuance in that as well. I mean, if you have a really refined carbohydrate diet and you're, um, you're not tracking anything, then you're more likely to overeat. Mm-hmm. That's, that's basically it. This, I mean, that's maybe something that you encounter a lot when you, when you talk to people because people like to just talk about insulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think so something with the, the higher carbohydrate approach as well that I've, that I've noticed in, in a lot of people, especially probably the people that would take a part in your research that were placing higher is that sure. you know, whilst there is performance benefits, there's definitely an aesthetic difference between the people that have ended their prep on high carbs and people that are ending the prep on very, very low carbohydrate diets. It's just a complete. 100%. You've, yeah. you've nailed a great point there because we, we did a follow-up paper to this um, and we did a, a peaking strategy paper. And if you want to peak with basically a, a carb loading strategy, then believe me when I say it'll work 10 times better if you follow the diet where you've had carbohydrates in through the duration of your diet. If you're a low carb diet for the whole process of your diet and then you try to smash in 2,000 grams of carbs, <laughs> that's a recipe for disaster. It's yeah. like it's, it's going to go wrong. Yeah. In, a, in a bad way because your ability to metabolize the carbohydrate is not the same you're not as efficient compared to someone that's been doing it for the duration of their diet it's not yep. going to be the same yeah yeah for sure awesome guys so i think we'll finish up there i think we're just over an hour so for listeners this will make it digestible and i would like to finish on basically just where people can find you so each of your instagram handles would be would be great and also, if they're interested in coaching, how they can get in touch. Okay, go for it, Steph. Of course. So um, you can find us both on our individual Instagrams and Facebook. Mine is at Steph underscore Noble underscore Figure Pro. And I am do yours. <laughs> at Fueled by Scott Soats. So uh, I like porridge oats. That's why I'm fueled by them. <laughs> so you can find me on there. We should have shares. Um, coaching wise you can find us on our website www.proprepcoaching.com and um if you want to go and check out some of the work that we do it's on instagram as well at proprepcoaching um and yeah we're, we're working with lots of really exciting athletes at the moment coming up for this season hoping that it all goes ahead well um and if you are interested in coaching yeah just jump out on the instagram or on the facebook page and we'll be sure to hit you up all right. Okay. Cheers, folks. And thank you very much for having us Thanks, on, AJ. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks, guys, for listening. And we will speak soon. Cheers.